let's get it. Radically smaller commerce. You wanna test A B on your PDP? Pop up that AOV and your B2C. Do the 301, avoid the 404. Boost your SEO, get people to the store. Got the latest stack, headless, you react. You want that seamless customer experience attack. Live shopping social, set up your syndication. Be relevant, that's our recommendation. Radical Smarter Commerce is a podcast presented by Aptus with focus on smarter commerce and merchandising. We will talk about trends, new technology, and the importance of being relevant. We will do this by interviewing exciting guests to be inspired by their success stories and insights. And I'm your host, Thomas Sjöberg, and I will be joined by different colleagues here at Aptus depending on topic and guests. Hi, and welcome again to the Radically Smarter Commerce Podcast. And today I am happy to have my colleague and dear friend Henrik Bien as a guest. So welcome, Henrik. Thank you very much, Thomas. I'm delighted to be on the show. Yeah, and not only a guest, but a co-host for this episode. So Henrik, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm working now with Aptos. Uh, so my background is in product marketing and product management. Uh, and uh, really looking forward to talk to Sonia today. Absolutely. And Sonia is from ContentStack, the headless CMS provider, and she's going to talk to us about what a CMS is, uh, what is the headless approach, and what can it benefit for the business users and the whole organization. So really looking forward to that. And let's go and talk to Sonia. Today, we are very happy to have Sonia Kell at ContentStack as a guest here at the Radically Smarter Commerce Podcast. So welcome, Sonia. Thank you so much for having me, Thomas. And how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I have sunshine for the first time in two weeks, so there's nothing to be grumpy about. Sounds fantastic. So maybe you could just start telling us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Sonia. Uh, in my day job, I head up global um, product marketing for the Agile CMS vendor ContentStack. And um, ContentStack specializes in serving enterprise organizations with um, a CMS, a content management system that enables them in a new way to really tackle omni-channel customer journeys. And it's based on the modern technology principles of Mac, so microservices, API first, headless, and the C uh, is cloud-native SaaS. And um, that led me to actually Firestart, the Mac Alliance, which I'm the vice president of today. Um, it's an, a, a nonprofit organization that is founded by members in the vendor and agency world to help enterprise organizations understand the why and the how of making a transition from monolithic digital experience architectures to, to future fit ones that are composable and really enable them to deliver continuous innovation in an, in an agile, um, fast manner. So if, if we dive deeper into that, so, so, so what's the story behind it? How did it start? And, you know, how were the people behind it thinking? So what, what's the general idea, would you say? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's been a really interesting journey. Um, I myself only joined ContentStack two years ago, um, but I was very fascinated with the history of it. And, and 
you know, I've been in the content management space for over 20 years. Um, so I'm a little CMS nerd in that way. And I like to look at the history of organizations because it says a lot about the product and, and also the way they do business. So Content Stack is the third joint venture of our leadership team. Um, the, the first one was, um, raw engineering, a, a, a systems integrator that specialized on two things. One was helping enterprise organizations um, make the cloud transformation gracefully. And um, that's been, uh, that's always been a, a core DNA of content stack, really understanding how to leverage the cloud to its fullest potential in an enterprise way, which has um, very important uh, nuances to it than just hopping onto an AWS infrastructure. And then the second one was implementing um, commerce and content management systems. And then we're talking really about the Adobe's, the site calls, the Tridians at the time. And during that initial phase, two main challenges became really clear to the team. The first one was when you move your digital experience infrastructure to the cloud, there is a whole new set of challenges around integrating the different components that you might have. And the first product from this um, leadership team was born, which was built.io Flow. And Flow was an integration in the cloud product that you could compare to Zapier today, but then then enterprise grade, which was sold in 2018 to the German software house, Software AG. And with the investment, with the capital from that transaction, the leadership team doubled down on the second challenge that they faced, which was project kept on running late because the complexity of the systems was so hard, especially for the marketers and the content editors to work with, that they refused or just did too much stuff wrong. So our now VP of engineering, Mayank Mishra, he had it at one point and said, we're going to build an abstraction layer over all of these CMSs that will allow our editors on the project to very quickly, simply, easily input their content and assemble their, their pages and their experiences without needing to worry about all the complexity of the buttons. And that was the birthing hour of content stack around 2014, actually. So then in 2018, we spun out content stack and really brought that initial MVP into a, you know, GA production uh, version and have never lost that focus of it's really at the end of the day about making the business side of the house effective and efficient. But because of all the lessons learned from the cloud and integration story, also set it up in a way that caters to the composable ecosystem and, and really enables that um, composition, that orchestration for enterprises. So I was really fascinated at the time when I heard that story. And I do think it's it's a big reason, the heritage and, and all that expertise that came in to Content Stack from the beginning that's making the company so very successful today. All right. You have already mentioned that you worked for 20 years within the CMS space and uh, content management systems. But if we take a few steps back, just um, explaining what is a, a CMS? That's a good question. So a CMS essentially helps the um, management 
and delivery and distribution of content across various channels. So the web, obviously mobile, and now with the headless CMS capabilities, also in new channels, think um, AR, VR, or in-store displays, um, voice assistance. The, the critical elements of that is enabling business users to enter content throughout the content lifecycle. So from ideation, um, what are we going to write in our editorial calendar, to actually inputting it, the review cycles, workflows, and governance that comes with that. And if you have global scenarios automating, say, the translation and the localization of that content. Um, and when I say content, that is that is textual content, um, but that's also assets, right? That is that is images, that is videos and um, audio files that, that for me are content too. And then hopefully a CMS will also enable the delivery of that content in a personalized way and give insights back about the consumption and the effectiveness to the marketing and editorial team so that they can make informed decisions about their future strategy. In, in content marketing. And you also mentioned headless CMS. So what do you mean with that? Yeah, headless is a capability that <clears throat> describes that a content management system can programmatically deliver the content and assets and structure to any front-end framework. And this is in stark contrast to, say, 10 years ago, when um, a content management system would have very um complex and proprietary esoteric <laughs> Kelly good from commerce tools calls it uh, frameworks to deliver say templates so within the CMS a lot of programming needed to happen so that at the end of the day say a landing page shows up on the web and that process is very very cumbersome especially because on the front end side Certainly on the web, so much has happened in the last five, six years where new frameworks come out and organizations want to adopt them because they have real value for the digital experience. But if you're stuck in an old templating world, chances are you cannot. That's one web view on it. The second view is that Headless enables a business team to be in control of the content and the experience that it creates in any channel. And that is very new. So 10, even five years ago, typically in an organization, you would see that the content team manages the web, but they can't manage the mobile app or the tablet app or the kiosk that's somewhere in Lund or Berlin or Beijing. And with headless, they now can, because the front end is just a different framework, say an iOS app or an Android app or the kiosk um, uh, framework, whatever that may be. But the business user can still ensure that when a campaign goes live, for instance, it goes live on the web and on the mobile app and in the kiosk in Beijing at the very time they wanted to go live. And that's new, and that's a, a that's a power and an operational efficiency for business teams that is huge. They don't need to call a developer anymore, no matter where they want to go. So headless sounds like you're you're lacking something quite important, right? But uh, you were talking about how you interact with other front ends. Are there any limitations of what front ends that you can interact with? I, I, 
I really, really dislike the term headless, by the way, for that very reason, because <clears throat> actually what it does is it enables all of those heads, right? It's it's not headless, um, but the term kind of stuck in the industry. So, you know, we have to go with it. Maybe a Medusa CMS. I mean, if you cut a head, another head <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. grows back. There have been discussions around calling it Medusa or uh, <laughs> I think Cerberus, someone even said. The thing is, those pictures don't look much pretty than headless, right? I tried to advocate topless, but I was told that's totally inappropriate. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's it's a very unfortunate term that we have to live with now. Yeah. But um, to 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 answer your question, are there limitations on the front end? Um, in principle, not. Any front end that allows to programmatically retrieve data uh, can be fueled, can be powered by a headless CMS. And you'll find that for many of the old school, like a, a .NET or Java uh, environments, there is SDKs that the CMS vendors provide. So the developers can stay in their natural habitat that they are used to and use their mechanisms to retrieve the content and the assets and the the automation triggers and so on from the CMSs. So I have not yet encountered a uh, front end that cannot be fueled. I will say there is a huge difference in the CMS offerings because indeed some of them do not cater to offline scenarios. So if you think about, say, a mobile web app, it's important that you look uh, into the capabilities of a vendor for for synchronization. So when your customer is in a um, in an area where there is bad reception, or think about screens in an event environment where Wi-Fi constantly breaks down, right? That is something that that an organization during the evaluation really needs to look into to not create roadblocks for the experience. All right. So, I mean, it's easy to think. I mean, since it sounds technical and we're going to go back to it, uh, there's APIs and you build something on top of it, you might feel that it might be a black Box. So for the business users, what are they doing? What do they experience when they sort of log in? And um, when you compare different systems, is there different things behind the scenes depending on what system it is or, or so? Yes, there's tremendous differences. I've often heard, especially business users say, Hey, like headless CMS, that's totally for the developers only. And there's, there is a truth to that because most of the headless CMSs indeed started from that technical angle, Thomas. So they, there was a bunch of front end developers that really wanted to do Angular or React and couldn't with the legacy CMS. So they went and, and bought into a headless CMS that completely catered to the development lifecycle needs, but ignored the business. And there is some stigma left from those early days of headless CMSs. But it's important for business users to demand to be included in an evaluation to make sure their needs are met too. Now, what does it look like? Um, again, there is, there's huge differences in the market. The more enterprise ready CMSs, they will have a user interface that is geared towards content editors and marketers and is effective. It's really important that a business user 
does not only manage the, we call it atomic content, so the little content pieces that get assembled somewhere, but that a business user is also in control of the structure of that. So how is that, say, on a landing page, how are my different content and, and asset blocks um, arranged? What is the logic behind this? That requires also a link, a functional link for the business user to a testing tool, to a personalization tool. And it's important to have a look at how is that set up? Can I, as a business user, stay in, say, content stack and define the logic for the presentation? And the beauty then comes from the fact that this logic, how is something displayed and what are the rules for real-time delivery can be managed not just on the web, but also say on a mobile app. Um, and that's that's a power that is new to business that was always in the hands of the developers. And another reason why headless is so unfortunate because actually it gives more control to the business users if you pick the right CMS. Yeah, and if you could elaborate on that, I mean, what benefits do you get as a marketeer? You have already mentioned agility and uh, and different uh, channels of frontends, but could you give some examples what you can do and the benefits? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, that harmony across the channels and my campaign rollouts is is a huge, huge benefit. Um, it ties back into speed at the end of the day. Right, Because if I can manage this with my team autonomously, I don't need to worry about any dependencies on IT. Okay, That's that's a tremendous benefit because it allows me to be faster to market. And with that, the time to value is significantly reduced. So what is an example of where I was dependent on the IT before and what can I do now? Uh, How does that look like? Well, most organizations that have a traditional CMS would not be able to power a mobile app or an in-store display with that. Okay. So it was just not possible. Let's not even talk about voice assistance or chat Mm. or any of those, right? Um, And then typically the cycles for that would be really long because you would have isolated teams. You'd have a web team and a mobile app team and an in-store display team. And that in itself creates an overhead. So let me give you a few customer examples. Our customers that needed to fuel an omni-channel system would need four to six weeks for rolling out a simple campaign across this ecosystem. And now they can do it in a matter of days, right? Hours sometimes. Mm. And and the reason why that is so important is because we've done agile on the development side for decades, right? And we've evolved a lot from that. But since a few years, marketing is picking this up too. They just don't call it agile. They call it growth marketing or growth hacking. Sounds a lot cooler. It does because it's marketing, right? We give it better names. We should have asked a marketer to call headless something. Better. Yeah, exactly. But it's really, really important because in order to continuously evolve on this growth path, you cannot wait six weeks for something to be implemented and rolled out and then get the insights from it. It lives from small incremental updates and the overhead of that needs to be as minimal as possible so that you can go in and say, here's three assumptions about how I can improve that one metric that matters right now. And I will just roll those out and I'll see what works and what doesn't. But then as a marketer, I need to be in control when I see one is really not working and the other one is fantastic to implement that across all my estates right away. That cannot take weeks. That's a process that needs to happen in days. So with that, 
there is a direct implication on my KPIs, be that engagement, be that revenue or order value. Um, I, I am in control of making my numbers at the end of the day. So you just mentioned that growth hacking sounds more cooler than agile. Um, so we usually ask our guests what they would call themselves if they, if they were a rapper, because we have a hip hop theme in the beginning. So so maybe you have a cool stage name here that you could share with us. Yeah. Do you know how much time I lost going through rapper name auto generators <laughs> on the web? Like I had half of my team involved in doing that as well. <laughs> Did you really just in just? preparing for this i know and i didn't come up with anything it actually just said like it it gave me back things like sonia k which i don't think sounds really really cool so i'm not a rapper but uh, my apologies i don't have a fantastic name okay yeah maybe medusa could be something medusa yeah again it's not an image i want to portray (laughs) (laughs) it it would have been cool so uh give it a thought all right uh let's go on let's get it so um, obviously, I mean, introducing a way of working uh, like this, and you were describing how marketing is changing, getting more involved, maybe. So how, what effect does this have within the organization uh, in the way that IT and marketing work? Uh, what, positive effects, more involved? What would you say? I just actually spoke to a few Mark Alliance ambassadors about this. <clears throat> and it's really interesting. This is organizations that have made the journey already. Mm-hmm. One common theme was that the trust between IT and marketing really, really blossomed during this process. And I think there's two factors to that. One is that, do you know, many business teams still have this us versus them attitude, partly because they want to move fast and they keep on being held back by what they perceive to be IT, Mm -hmm. right? And we know that actually IT is held back by all these legacy systems and the complexity, but that's not always transparent to the business side, right? The the idea is, oh, IT is so slow. Um, Now, Using composable methods, using mock architecture, IT is actually fast. And interestingly enough, in some cases, faster than business can keep up with, uh, which is an interesting dynamic between the two sides of the organization as well. Mm -hmm. But in order to successfully make this transition, business and IT stakeholders need to sit on the same table and need to make joint decisions about how they want to evolve And that means that marketing needs to understand technology a little better and IT needs to understand business a little better. And, and through that, that common understanding, shared goals, shared ambitions, the, the organization itself, um, just from a psychology perspective, just from the dynamic creates more amazing results as well. It's, it's very nice to see how the, the, the barriers between the marketing and IT side are also being broken down. Uh, it sounds like an uh, amazing effect it has um, on the organization. So, but but even though there are not all all uh, companies has an IT organization, and they would typically turn to a partner, I guess, doing the technical part. Is do do you see the same effect there? Um, yes. Um, actually, what I do see is that um, increasingly agencies and SIs 
also move towards, at least in part, a revenue model that looks at success share. Okay. And with that, you go away from, say, fixed price or only time and material, and you move into again, a shared goals, your success is my success. Um, and that's really important because then you're not in a client vendor relationship, but you are actually a partner. Um, and everybody is looking at the outcome rather than booking hours. Uh, but yes, I've seen that too. And especially, especially Henrik, in the first phases, if you're doing a large lift and shift, very often we see enterprises to work with our catalysts, our, our partner ecosystem, um, and then after a while, build the experience in-house to, you know, have the front-end developers and the enterprise architects for the long-term um, evolution of the platform. Okay, so would you say that the headless approach to this is something for everyone or should you be of a certain size or um, or so? Well, it depends on your ambitions for digital experience. If you only want to manage a website, it's probably not for you, right? Because, because the, the benefits are exponential with the more touch points and the more channels that you have. I do think that any organization, even web, can benefit from having the front end decoupled from the back end because it just allows you to create more amazing functionality and more amazing experiences faster. But for me, a headless, so headless is just one capability of what makes a headless CMS, right? There is, there is the, the API first nature. There's the cloud native SaaS, which is really, really important too. But yes, if you don't have an in-house IT, if you only want to look at the web, probably a headless CMS is not not for you. So another thought I have is uh, whether it requires more of you as a buyer when it comes to understanding the market. Uh, it might be harder than just you know comparing two suites that are maybe more traditional. So um, what do you do then? Do you hire a consultant? Do you work um, if you don't have that competence yourself? That's an interesting point because the evaluation and sort of the classic RFP process is and should be very different if you compare a suite and a, a composable um, architecture. And what we are seeing is that organizations move away from the checklist, like feature one, feature two, feature three, and move more towards so asking about business outcomes. We want to enable... I don't know, a global campaign infrastructure that is run by four different agencies in 30 different countries. How do you do that, dear vendor? So more open questions, and of course, a few are critical criteria, but that enables an organization to have a conversation with their vendors and understand the differentiation between the vendors better. If you just have a checklist, do you know it's like going to buy a car and you say it needs to have a wing mirror and it needs to have an exhaust and it needs to have two seats and you list all those features, you might end up with every car in the world meeting your criteria, but you're missing the actual point of what it is you want to do, like comfortably drive from Holland to Germany or you know whatever that may be. So the, the way how you need to evaluate them is very different. That, that requires a a different approach. It's not harder. It's just it's just different. Mm. If you look at, I want to have a 
a commerce and a, a content and a personalization capability as part of my initial rollout, that in a composable way means you may look at three vendors rather than one. So also understanding how to set that up from a procurement and from a business approach and then later from an architectural approach that you do it successfully is new. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is actually not more complex. It's just different. And that's where partners can really, really help to avoid pitfalls and to make sure it's a graceful transition. So I would always recommend if you don't have the in-house expertise, turn to an agency or a system integrator that you trust um, that will be able to give you a, a, an independent view. And if you don't, at least turn to the analysts. Turn to Gartner, turn to Forrester. Um, if you have a subscription, they can also really help you navigate. Sure. Yeah, I think the partners are very important in this era of composable commerce. And um, I think also it's quite common that the partners is building a stack of different solutions that they become experts in or they create uh, an accelerator to get faster going that usually contains a, a commerce part, a CMS part, maybe some front end framework, um, a merchandising uh, solution and, and maybe some other components in this as well. And I mean, it must be really important for you as a vendor and for us as well to, to be part of those stacks that are, you know, uh, being marketed by the partners because uh, Usually, you know, as a customer, maybe you buying a suite from Adobe or someone else, and and then you have a partner that sort of pitches a, a stack based on headless solutions and the composable commerce part. So, do we have any thoughts about that? That we are sort of seeing partners building suites. It's not like they want to use they maybe don't want to work with four different headless CMSs. That there, that very much depends on the organization at the at the partner. Commercially, of course, it makes sense for them to hone in on to say one commerce solution, one CMS vendor, one personalization engine. From the enterprise buyer perspective, though, I would always encourage them to look at which of those tools really fulfills my business needs. And there is, especially because this is a young uh, segment of the market, there is a lot of differences between the vendors. And the partner owes it also, in my opinion, to the enterprise to make sure this isn't just what their comfort zone is, but it is really what's going to make the, the customer most successful at the end of the day. Yeah, so maybe that's a more a mid-market play that you want to sort of have something that you can accelerate. But if you're an enterprise and understand that you are targeting enterprises uh, predominantly, that then they look at this more strategical and, and really want to have the, the best solutions that can support their long-term strategy. Yeah, indeed. But you see, there's also, there's also the reality, and that's an, a very uncomfortable truth, that if you are an agency and you invested in, say, your Sitecore practice, right, and you have all these trained Sitecore developers that are sitting on the bench, you may be inclined to pitch Sitecore because you need to fill these hours. And that's something even a mid-market company needs to be aware of. What are the dynamics that come into play here? And the beauty of a mock architecture is that the partner doesn't need specific expertise in 
the actual tool for the experience delivery or very little. Um, the onboarding is, is, is like almost non-existent because it's all API based. It's all programmatically, um, accessible. And if you know one API, you read the documentation of another and then you're there. It's important that the vendors have customer success teams that support the partner and the customer because best practices do differ. Um, but, but it's not anymore that you need to have a year of experience to be an expert in one of those tools. It's a, it's a matter of days or weeks. So, so would you say it's true to say that your key differentiator is the flexibility? One of them. Absolutely. So if you were to, uh, to pick the top three, the top three, first one would be that omni-channel control for business. Second would be agility, time to market, speed, and then flexibility, ongoing. Um, flexibility to change, you know, to pivot, to um, expand the marketing technology stack with other technologies and, and mix and match as you evolve and as you need it. Yeah. All right. So what's in the future for content stack and where do you see the market is, is going? You asked me about the future, but I need to look back a year real quick. Okay. <laughs> We've seen in the past 12 months an acceleration in adopting composable architectures that I did not foresee. Um, the pandemic and the urgency for many industries, but certainly retail and consumer brands that needed to go direct uh, very quickly has uplifted this whole technology philosophy almost significantly. So um, that's why the future is really bright. Um, there's a lot of demand. Um, we've uh, just released a completely new user experience. It's interesting because we've been known for providing the, the highest rated one already, but we didn't want to stop there. So we will continue to focus very heavily on making sure Large enterprise organizations and subject matter experts even are unable to have a direct line to, to the digital experience. And, um, we are working on making it easier for both IT and business people to work across the entire stack. We have a lot of capabilities already for quick installation and automations across other tools. But it's becoming more and more important to orchestrate and to have recipes for automation um, in translation and personalization, certain merge triggers um, that span the entire ecosystem. That is a, a big initiative that we're focusing on over the course of the next few, few weeks. Um, things like making it easier to preview for the business user, making it easier to... Um, you sort of time warp, you know, to see, hey, if I have these four campaigns in these three countries, what's that going to look like? Um, so a lot of the, the functionality that requires a global enterprise organization to support the, their, their ambitions. Yeah. All right. So a lot of good things lies ahead. And uh, for you personally, anything that you are looking forward to? Yeah, I am very excited about the one year anniversary coming up 
23rd of June for the Mark Alliance. Okay, so what you're going to do is going to be a big party, a Zoom, Zoom explosion, or what are we looking at? You know, we would have loved to do a big in-person party. Unfortunately, circumstances don't allow that yet. So we are going to do a virtual festival for um, four weeks okay. where all the members are coming together um, and and share best practices and um, and case studies. Our ambassadors are going to speak about their experiences across the journey of an organization that is transforming from monolith to composable. So why? How do you make the business case? How do you evaluate? How do you implement? We're going to look at the psychology, Henrik, between the IT and the business teams. Um, and it's, it's going to be amazing. And I'm so thankful to our ambassadors and our members who are all doing this next to their day jobs, like nobody's getting paid to do this, to help evangelize the business benefits and help organizations to to understand how they can successfully make the move. Um, it's, it's been absolutely um, exciting and also very humbling to see how an industry segment came together with the the mere focus of helping helping their buyers, um, it's fantastic. No commercial ties, just just thought leadership and and actual help. And thank you for being on the show today. Your thought leadership and explaining what the headless CMS is and how it can benefit you as an organization. So really nice having you on the show, Sonia. And uh, see you around. Thank you so much for having me. See you all. To be up to date with podcast-related matters, follow our LinkedIn page. And if you want to participate in discussions or recommend topics and guests, please join our Facebook group as well. Just search for Radicalist Motor Commerce and you will find us. And of course, if you want to contact me directly, you can always reach out on LinkedIn. My name is Thomas Sjöberg. You find the podcast on all platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Acast, as well as at radicalismotorcommerce.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you like the podcast. It helps us find new listeners. And you can also follow Aptus at LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.